0: Susie, she's a doozy, she's not choosy. You won't losey, don't care who'sy, I mean, you, you'll get woozy after just one date with Susie. When you take her home about ten, another garb is waiting there to take our Susie out again. So, in conclusion, beware of Susie, she, she belongs to you and you and me and a US baby. S, S, U,
1: S, U, S, S, U, S, I, S. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin.
0: I'm David Dahl.
1: And this week, we started the 1945 nominees with the Frank Sinatra, Gene Kelly musical Anchors Away, which... Uh, I know why this movie was nominated for Best Picture, but also i'm mad about it (laughs) i
0: don't know i i don't know what to think about this movie my main takeaway last night because nikki and i watched it together was just there is no reason for this movie to go this hard like it is a movie about two navy men on shore leave trying to get laid and there's like five different sequences where you're like, Jesus Christ, why is this in this movie? Like, I'm not complaining, but what the hell?
1: Except it's not about that at all. That This movie is a variety show that is incredibly entertaining that they try to stitch together with a story of some Navy guys on leave trying to get laid. But really, this movie is here to showcase song and dance numbers, and some rotoscoping animation. That is the purpose of this film. Yeah. And I'm okay with the movie. I'm just like, this is not worth an Academy Award. You are doing this because they had a lot of technical things that were very impressive, but this is not a Best Picture nominee.
0: Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Like on principle, I think in practice in this movie, I'm not going to go to bat for this movie that hard. But in principle, I actually kind of wish the Academy nominated movies like this more often than boring paint by numbers does what the Academy wants the Academy to do shit. I would like it if the Academy was like, you rotoscoped Jerry from Tom and Jerry to be dancing with Gene Kelly. Here's a fucking tiny man. I (laughs) wish that happened more.
1: But I feel like surely there must have been a better plotted, tighter plotted, just as good, minus the fact that it probably didn't have rotoscoped mice in it musical that happened in 1945 that they could have nominated, right? Surely. Maybe not.
0: I don't know. That's pretty specific. If you're arguing with me that there's a better movie than this in 1945, I don't know, probably. That makes some sense to me. But if you're arguing, I want a musical specifically where the problem with this musical is that the plot is barely there. I'm like, That's the problem with a lot of musicals, and most of them do not have amazing rotoscoping sequences in them.
1: Right, but my argument for most musicals, even if they have thin plot, is that the musical numbers are part of the plot and not just the fifth silent Gene Kelly dancing moment that has no real purpose other than like, he ran into a five-year-old girl.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not Gene Kelly telling a classroom full of kindergartners how he got his military medal as dancing with a cartoon mouse. (laughs) Like,
1: I... (laughs) I mean, even that one at least had some structural reason, kind of. Like, that's the kind of thing I expect from a musical, right? Is, I'm gonna tell a story, but I'm gonna do it through song and dance, (laughs) And it does somehow come back to what's happening. But there are two Gene Kelly numbers in particular, which are very entertaining, that are so flimsily (laughs) cued by the rest of the film that it, I just just want a little bit more plot. (laughs) Uh,
0: You know, I think my other resistance here is I would be happy with less plot.
1: Or less plot. Or less... Less... Uh... Just stop pretending at that point, you know?
0: (laughs) For sure. Because, I mean, I think we would both be agreed that the worst parts of this movie are that our two leads are terrible human beings. The thing I like about this movie is that it's a movie about two Navy men that immediately acknowledges that apparently everyone in the Navy is a terrible smug piece of shit. (laughs) Like, their first musical number is about what smug pieces of shit they are, and I kind of love it. We Hate to Leave is, on a pure musical level, maybe my favorite song I hear.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, you really hate the Navy.
0: Apparently I do. Yeah. But what I will say is, this movie kind of hates the Navy, because the two of them are terrible. Everything they do to Aunt Susie, including insisting on calling her Aunt Susie all the time, is just <laughs> like, leave this poor woman alone. <laughs>
1: Yeah, oh, they're absolutely terrible to her. But again, this is where I'm talking about how the plot is so incredibly thin as to be insulting. Mm -hmm. Because why does she fall in love with Gene Kelly?
0: He's Gene (laughs) Kelly? But like, yeah, in terms of the plot... yeah,
1: Frank Sinatra also is literally right there. So I don't understand what the... If that's all it takes, then is it because he's the one who ignored her the most? (laughs)
0: Yeah, it is definitely, plot-wise, it has to be that Gene Kelly negs her, because that's the only difference between the two of them, as far as, like, she is concerned or aware of. Right. Is that Gene Kelly is an asshole to her directly all the time. And And Frank Frank Sinatra's Sinatra's just
1: not very good at courting her. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the plot, just to get it out of the way in, like, 30 seconds, is- These two guys from the Navy, played by Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly, are given four days of shore leave because their ship was attacked and they did rad shit that you're only told about, and then they got medals for it. They go ashore. Gene Kelly is a ladies' man and is trying to hook up with a girl named Lola. Uh, Frank Sinatra is a bookish loner who would like to learn how to be smooth with women from Gene Kelly. It's a weird dynamic and is definitely... (laughs) Homosexual readings are not difficult.
1: (laughs) Or uninvited, honestly. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, The plan to get laid with a woman is waylaid by a young Dean Stockwell in a crossover that let me do a lot of Quantum Leap jokes last night, who is a tiny kid who wants to join the Navy because his dad was in the Navy. That's why, right? I forget why.
1: Yes. His dad was in the Navy.
0: Mostly it's just because it's cute to have a small child repeatedly insist he's going to join the Navy. And
1: by the way, my only major issue with the Navy, which generally I don't have any problems with the Navy as a particular branch of government, but the outfits that they wear always look like what you dress a four-year-old boy in to go to church on Easter, Mm -hmm. and it's really emphasized when you have two grown men and then a short little boy next to them in the same outfit. Yeah. (laughs) At least they're wearing the navy-colored version and not the white version of the navy uniform, because that's the one that really, to me, is, yes, this is what a toddler wears to church on Easter. (laughs)
0: The cute kid is too much for the cops to handle, so they just randomly kidnap some Navy men to get this kid that's obsessed with the Navy to tell him where he lives. They get roped into taking him back to his home, where they meet his aunt Susie, because he's a tragic orphan. Gene Kelly immediately negs her, Frank Sinatra immediately falls in love with her, she wants to be a singer. Frank Sinatra was like a choir boy, basically. And that's close enough for them to do this plot where they chase away a suitor that she has by singing a song about how she's a slut, which is a real low point of the film on several levels.
1: That was actually the point in the movie where I went, oh, am I going to hate this? Mm-hmm. And then I didn't.
0: The only thing I will say is... It's some of the best acting of making up a song on the spot I've ever seen.
1: Yes, because basically they start rhyming stuff and then realize that they have backed themselves into a corner about how Aunt Susie is very uh, lose. (laughs) Yeah. And then they're like, well, shit, here's where we are. We're going with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And like on that level, it is kind of fun. It is kind of fun to watch them go like, Hey, are we bad? Are are we the baddies? And then slowly (laughs) get into it. Like, no, 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 I've got a great rhyme for it is vaguely entertaining. But the fact that they're like never really punished for it, it kind of sucks.
1: I mean, Gene Kelly gets fully rewarded for it. To be fair, she never hears that song.
0: Yes. Although, how? Because that is a tiny house and they are going to town on that piano.
1: That's true. But whatever.
0: They chase away this guy. She's like, he was going to be my big break. Gene Kelly's like, well, Frank Sinatra's now your big break because he was in a choir when he was in high school. He doesn't say that. He says that it's because they know this guy.
1: Jose Iturbi. Yeah. Who was a big deal Spanish conductor and pianist and who apparently was featured in a number of films, not just this one, <laughs> as himself. And to be fair, the man is incredible on the piano and gets to show that awful lot for very nonsensical reasons, or just asensical. <laughs> it's just like, we feel like it. Jose Terry is going to play the piano now.
0: <laughs> yeah, because after we've established this thing where they lie to her about having connections in the music industry, we then reach the hour and a half portion of this film of, yeah, fuck it. Let's just do what we want, <laughs> where the plot does not matter for an hour and a half until... Eventually, she talks to his thinking that she has an audition with him he goes um who the hell are you crazy lady she kind of breaks down and he goes actually i'm gonna give you an audition anyway hey it turns out that you're incredibly talented and i'm going to make you a star overnight and then they do a big closing musical number where because all's well that ends well she decides to not be mad at gene kelly for the rest of her life even though by every stretch of the imagination she really ought to be But the movie ends with her making out with him and Frank Sinatra making out with a girl whose one quality is Brooklyn, question mark, that he has had a romantic (laughs) plot line with.
1: She's a waitress at a cafe in this little Mexico area of Los Angeles, who is the only one who works there who is not Hispanic. And she's from Brooklyn, and apparently so is Frank Sinatra's character, and they- hit it off question mark but anyway he falls in love with her sure and her character name in the actual credits is girl from brooklyn that is how much this movie gives no
0: shits about plot or character development at all (laughs) my favorite favorite thing like it's a thing that like wraps back around because her one salient character quality is brooklyn
1: i think it's hilarious
0: (laughs) she has a terrible brooklyn accent
1: it's so bad i looked up where she was from because i thought surely this woman is not even from new york and she's not she's from minnesota
0: Mm -hmm. that's actually (laughs) what wraps it back around for me if her one salient quality was brooklyn and she had a good accent i would actually not like the character
1: (laughs) sorry she's from wisconsin from milwaukee Basically, the only thing that she does that makes you go, okay, I guess that's Brooklyn, is she says Goyle. Yeah. And then otherwise is doing something to her pronunciation, but it's not Brooklyn. It's not even caricature of Brooklyn. (laughs)
0: Like a lot of things, it's so low effort, I kind of love it. This movie barely cares about its plot, because what it actually cares about is these musical interludes where either Frank Sinatra is crooning at you or Gene Kelly's really Gene Kellying it up And it's specifically the Gene Kelly numbers where this movie goes so fucking hard, it's unbelievable for no fucking reason, on a dime, just out of nowhere. Just Gene Kelly's like, ah, I don't really court women, but if I did, dream sequence where I'm Zorro and I climb (laughs) up the side of the entire set, go like 80 feet in the air, grab a rope, swing across the rope, and run across a bunch of rooftops to jump into your arms. And it's like, The fuck? Like, what? Well,
1: after tap dancing for five minutes. Yeah. At a certain point, this movie just stops having anything in between performance numbers that is longer than three minutes long. And the triggering thing for that one that you just described, which I think was the last of the Gene Kelly numbers in the film, Mm -hmm. is he runs into Susan on set because she is doing background work basically in the movies. And for some reason, they're not thrown off of the soundstage when everything shuts down. And he says something like, oh, yeah, that's a nice house over there. That's a piece of a set. And if she lived in that house, she would be a princess and he would be the leader of some bandits who fell in love with her. That is it. That is what triggers this incredibly elaborate dance scene. Yeah. Yeah. But that actually is more sensical than the one where he just turns around and sees a five-year-old girl outside of the cafe where the girl from Brooklyn works. And they have, like, another five-minute dance sequence that they do together.
0: (laughs) Right. That is the one that is just, like, absolutely... They don't
1: even talk to each other! (laughs) No!
0: It's really... It's honestly kind of creepy. Because they just look at each other and he suddenly grabs this little girl's arms and they like start dancing together. Does she have parents? What's happening right now? And then Gene Kelly is Gene Kelly. And so it's an amazing dance sequence.
1: And she's really good. This five-year-old girl is really good. Her feet were so fast. And compared to the number that he does with Frank Sinatra toward the beginning where Frank Sinatra is looking at Gene Kelly's feet the entire time. Yeah. And it's relatively simple for Gene Kelly. This little five-year-old girl is tremendous. I mean, I don't know if she's five. She's like that size. Yeah. She's very, very small. She comes up sort of to his (laughs) mid-thigh.
0: It is the weirdest sequence in the movie because it is the one that literally comes out of nowhere. All the rest of them, you have this moment to go like, oh, I guess we're doing this now. And that's the one where you're just like, wait, what now? You're just you're you're just dancing with a small girl that you met on the street. okay? but let's talk about why this got nominated for an Academy Award, which is the extended rotoscoping sequence with Jerry from Tom and Jerry as a special effects spectacular that is honestly, genuinely kind of impressive to this day. Like I know how the trick is done, and as Nikki was saying, she could like almost fake this up on her phone these days, but it's the inventiveness of what they do with the animation and how Jerry interacts with Gene Kelly that I think has actually aged really, really well.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, Gene Kelly is doing a very good job of selling it to me that he is talking to a mouse. Yeah,
0: Gene Kelly gets asked by these kids how he got his medal because Dean Stockwell's been telling all the kids about his cool Navy friend who has a medal. And he b- decides to, you know, not tell a story about World War Two to a bunch of five-year-olds and makes up this story about a kingdom where nobody's allowed to sing and dance because the king has outlawed it. And the king turns out to be Jerry the Mouse from Tom and Jerry, who's outlawed it because he's not a good enough song and dance man. And Gene Kelly goes, well, I can teach you to do a song and dance. And that instantly works. And the two of them do just an amazing song and dance number together, where, like you say, Gene Kelly really sells that there's a cartoon mouse that he is interacting with. A lot of it is just rotoscoping the mouse to do exactly what Gene Kelly does frame for frame. But they, when it is not that, get very inventive on the things that Jerry can do that a human dance partner could never do. My favorite being the part where Gene Kelly just flexes his arm muscles and bounces Jerry back and forth across his arms.
1: Yeah, that one's pretty great. (laughs) I also like when he, this one actually wouldn't be that hard to animate, but when Jerry jumps up in the air and just lies there on the thin air doing nothing and Gene Kelly is like okay really really yeah you're showing me up because literally that has never happened to Gene Kelly before
0: (laughs) (laughs) right it's that Gene Kelly's doing the spin around kick out move and every time he kicks out Jerry jumps over his leg and then after doing that three times Jerry just hangs in the air so he doesn't have to bother doing the jump anymore (laughs) and Gene Kelly's like "You, you Oh, you little rat. And then they keep going. And yeah, it's great. It is, as a technical showcase, as a technical showcase, both of rotoscoping and of Gene Kelly Human Technical Showcase. (laughs) It's amazing. And it is basically entirely disconnected from the rest of this film about two Navy men trying to get laid.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, all of the really good parts of this movie are disconnected from that story.
0: (laughs) For sure. That is the biggest problem with this movie, is that the movie this is sucks. The musical numbers that this is are amazing.
1: (laughs) Yes. I also want to throw out the... 15 piano piece that happens at the Hollywood Bowl with Hosea Turvey that is so disconnected from the plot as to, again, be completely ridiculous because the whole reason that we see that is that the boys hear that he's going to be at the Hollywood Bowl, so they go to talk to him to try to get this audition for Susan, and they don't actually get in to talk to him. They try, (laughs) They get in, but by the time they get in through scrambling down a hill, he's already left. Mm-hmm. But luckily, we got to see this incredibly complicated version of List that is played on about 15 pianos by It's and a number of children, varying ages, like seven to, you know, maybe college. Yeah. <laughs> It is really strange, but it's also technically, as far as filmmaking is concerned, really very, very impressive, including a shot that comes from under the piano keys within the piano, (laughs) underneath what had to have been clear piano keys that... And Turby was just playing on as if they were real.
0: Right. Like there's all kinds of small technical touches. Like the rotoscoped sequence with Jerry is absolutely why this got nominated. But when I say this movie goes weirdly hard, it's actually stuff like that clear piano key shot It's the shot once Susan is discovered where they faked up a camera viewfinder to shoot through a camera viewfinder and then pull back out of the fake camera viewfinder to watch her being shot on camera in the studio where you're like, that is a weirdly huge amount of work for this scene that is doing nothing for us except saying that uh, Hosea Turvey apparently liked her.
1: I also love that. Her screen test that is given to her by Jose Antonio, who just meets her in the MGM canteen, has a full fucking orchestra, and she's in a gown, mm-hmm. and they have a crane <laughs> camera set up. And then to film it would have to have had another camera on a crane to get that shot. <laughs>
0: And also the actual test part is just four executives in the control room you cut to for a second who just nod at each other. Right. And you're like, that's a great fucking gig. Like <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's it is so over the top. You could just have her in a room singing a couple of notes, and he's like, I've got a great idea. Because after that. There is the like last huge scene where they do the big reveal that she's gotten the gig and Jose Turbay hooks her back up with Gene Kelly and also somehow knows about the girl from Brooklyn. I was really <laughs> unclear on that.
1: I, yeah, sure. <laughs>
0: like she's just there somehow, but yeah. Like you say, it's a variety show and it's a real technical showcase in the variety show numbers. And it's like, and yet it's, is it a movie? I'm not sure what I'm going to (laughs) say, because the thing that supposedly makes this a movie that makes these characters question mark (laughs) that we're following is just nothing.
1: Yeah, and I love all the parts of this movie that are not a movie.
0: <laughs> right. It's not even that it's so slight. Because, like, the first 40 minutes before Gene Kelly does a real song and dance number, the movie kind of drags. You're kind of like, when are we going to get to Gene Kelly? Gene Kellying it? They do a lot of legwork about this cute kid and his aunt and, like, who Gene Kelly's trying to hook up with and Frank Sinatra's whole history before and, like, their character relationship to each other and, like, you have this weird plot line with a cop who ends up ditching them to go on a date of his own and then you come back to the cop later and you're like, there's a lot here and none of it is important.
1: No. Once they have established what our... I'm not even going to say plot, really. It's just a premise. What our premise is about almost an hour into this movie, which is two hours and 23 minutes long, then they're like, okay, great. We've put a framework in place. Now we're just going to go musical number, musical number, musical number with little interstitial bullshit to move us essentially from one sound stage to another. Yeah. And that's really the only reason for any of it to be there. And then the movie becomes great.
0: Yeah. It's great during that sequence. It's so much more efficient. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, when Girl from Brooklyn falls in love with Frank Sinatra, she falls in love with him just because she sees Frank Sinatra singing. And it's like, great, that's all you needed. Like, I actually didn't need all these scenes between Gene Kelly and Susan. Just have her watch Watch him be Gene Kelly.
1: Yeah. He can dance. (laughs) Enough.
0: (laughs) That's actually more than the movie gives us for why she's into him, with 15 minutes of them interacting with each other. Right. Because as far as I know, she never actually watches him dance in the movie. Because when he is imagining himself to be Zoro, she's just watching him go like, ah, da, 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 run up the tree. I mean, like, maybe he tap
1: dances in reality. <laughs> I don't I know. Guess, maybe. Because she does drop a rose. Yeah. And he gives her a rose in the little fantasy sequence. And they kiss. So, you know, maybe, um, maybe I have, I have no idea. And it also doesn't really matter.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, ooh, uh, what are we gonna rate this movie? <laughs> Sorry, it just like suddenly hit me. I have to put a number on this movie, um, and it's it's my first tilt in a while. Like it's the first one in a while where I'm like, yeah, not sure how the rubric is supposed to apply to this. Um, I uh, s- s- like I want to give it like a six or a seven.
1: Yeah, I'm leaning towards seven because it's very entertaining.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's very entertaining. It's not racist. It's pretty sexist. I, It's pretty sexist, but they are pretty consistently undermined in a way that makes it okay, question mark? Except for the fact that Gene Kelly does end up with Susan at the end. And... Yeah, it's just an excuse for a bunch of musical numbers, but the musical numbers are so damn good.
1: I will say something that's actually quite interesting about this movie, because you brought up that it's not racist. They managed to entirely recreate Olvera Street, which is in L.A. and is the sort of Little Mexico area where Susan sings at this cafe and where the girl from Brooklyn works. And they somehow managed to have a lot of Mexican people in this movie and none of them conform to some sort of bullshit stereotype.
0: The closest is the owner of the restaurant.
1: But he just seems to be quite effusive in the way that your stereotypical owner of a restaurant in a movie is.
0: Yeah, it's not like offensive, it's just a little bit broad.
1: Well, and it doesn't seem tied to any kind of ethnic stereotype. It's just like, he's a funny guy. Who is himself the joke, not making a joke? Yeah. You know, I'm not going to give it extra points for that. It's just something of a relief because definitely the first time that they went to that cafe, my entire body seized up and I was like, oh, God, what are they going to do? And then it was fine.
0: Yeah, I don't want to give it a pass on its sexism, but there are a couple of times where it could be worse, where I kind of had that same feeling of like, oh, God, what are we going to do? Like the I begged her, I pleaded number where the two of them are trying to tell a story about the girl they picked up last night when actually they had to take a little boy home (laughs) is like, oh, boy, this is going to go in a really weird direction and I'm going to really dislike it. Right. And instead, it's kind of delightful in that you can kind of tell how much they're bullshitting.
1: Well, and also they flip the lyrics entirely in Frank Sinatra's verse, where she begged him for a kiss. It's kind of like every time that they present something that is sexist, it is undermined in a way that takes the bite out of it. And it seems conscious and not just accidental. (laughs) Yeah. Which is nice.
0: (laughs) One of the things Nikki said to me last night while we were watching this my wife, in case this is your first episode of Screen Test of Time, uh, is that it's kind of too easy to just do a gay read of this movie because it's actually doing much weirder things with masculinity than just straight up, these two guys from the Navy actually want to fuck each other. To be clear, that energy is there. Like it is, <laughs> That that is not an insane thing for you to come away from this movie thinking, but actually the sort of weird relationship that Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra have around meeting women is more complicated and more of an indictment of masculinity than just that, like they actually want to make out with each other because there's just so much weird energy and weird bravado that is also weird because seeing frank sinatra try and be like bookish is just innately weird
1: and shy and not a ladies man it's not that it's not believable it's just that then he starts singing (laughs) and you go oh yeah okay you're frank sinatra (laughs) i forgot
0: (laughs) he has such timothy chalamet fuckboy energy he's got that like gaunt bad boy thing going on like frankly more than when he's frank sinatra frank sinatra it is weird how gaunt and like boy you tried to date in high school he is in this
1: i said while i was watching it that he looked like an instagram model like a contemporary instagram model yeah because he has so much cheekbones (laughs) yeah he looks very very beautiful but he does not look like a bookish nerd who's afraid of talking to girls Also, I think one of the things that's really interesting about the way that this film indicts masculinity, whether it means to or not, is that it seems very clear that Frank Sinatra's character wants to hook up with a girl and wants to be a ladies' man, not because he wants either of those things, but because it seems to be expected of him as a member of the Navy. Yeah. And also that... um, gene kelly's character is that and doesn't want to fall in love with this kind of uptight girl who also has a child (laughs) like it's not her child but she has a child who is her responsibility and finds himself in a very spielbergian way realizing that actually being a dad is kind of great and he likes it (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that Lola, this girl that we never see, but who he is always having basically phone sex with every time he calls her up, is not what he wants after all. That his idea of himself as this playboy is not nearly as satisfying as he tricked himself into believing. Yeah.
0: All of that stuff is there, but I think you are right to point out whether it intends to be an indictment of masculinity or not because i think there are parts of this movie that absolutely do i don't think there's a read of i beg dirt that isn't that but some of this movie's weird energy where frank sinatra is constantly leaning into the phone sex with lola like literally leaning in to try and overhear it is just a weird energy That you end up reading as kind of an indictment of masculinity? Because what the fuck?
1: Well, and that's also where you kind of pick up on these homoerotic things. Yeah. Does he want to get in the middle of this? Or, or, oh, no, 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 he's just trying to pick up some tips. But is that what's going on here? (laughs) I'd watch that movie too, but...
0: (laughs) There is a... Number that sort of makes fun of this in is it Ballad of Buster Scruggs? That's the no. It's uh, it's Hail Caesar that has a big musical number that is sort of mocking these big nineteen fifties musicals of Navy men. This one's in the forties, but that movie is set in the fifties. When you watch the first number, the it's it's this big Channing Tatum number. It's great. It's kind of the best part of Hail Caesar, but. When I watched this movie, I was like, "Oh, they just ripped this off one to one. Like it's not even like a heightening or a parody. Like it's just exactly what Anchors Away is. Is the movie they're making with Channing Tatum in Hail Caesar?"
1: Well, now I've got to watch that. Or wait, was it nominated for Best Picture?
0: I don't think so, because that's sort of. After the Coens stopped giving a shit about whether or not they were-
1: It's not. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's great. It's kind of my favorite Clooney performance of the past 10 years. He's kidnapped by a bunch of socialists and they talk him into socialism in about five minutes. And it's great. (laughs) He's a movie star. All right. Uh, And- um watch this movie. Watch this movie. It's pretty long. We've said the problems with it, but it's entertaining. I had a good time. I did not regret watching this film.
1: Yeah, I mean I wouldn't say it's a must-watch, but it's definitely fun. Yeah. Someone should make a cut of it where they just excise all of the plot.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you wanted to just watch the part where Gene Kelly dances with a cartoon mouse, I would not blame you. <laughs> you would lose no quote-unquote context by just watching that part on its own.
1: No. In fact, that I will say is a must-watch. It has to be on YouTube, so... Yeah. Go find it. So for next week, though, we are watching... Mildred Pierce yep I don't know anything about it
0: feel like it's gonna be a little bit less fun than this one
1: yeah it's Joan Crawford and it's uh yeah it's a film noir it might be really fun
0: yeah
1: (laughs) but I bet it will not have a rotoscoped mouse
0: well (laughs) is that how their like late 40s are gonna surprise us is just every time we say that there's a rotoscoped cartoon mouse
1: I, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll be surprised. Yeah. I feel like we will not, but...
0: <laughs> no, that seems unlikely, but I would I would love it.
1: I mean, it's probably pretty good, right? I don't love the name, but I feel like every time we've had a movie that was just the first and last name of a woman, it has been not amazing. Not the worst movie, but like Kitty Foyle, Alice Adams, like they were... Not great. They were movies. Yeah. But did I love them? No. <laughs> Did I like them? Kind of no. <laughs> but we'll see. Maybe Mildred Pierce will break the spell. And until then.
0: You know, I'm going to say this was a movie. It was a weird movie. I would maybe rather see a movie of how this movie got made because I don't really understand it. But it was a movie.
1: It was a variety show.
0: <laughs> it was. but
1: like With I've... Hollywood's <sighs> entire technical budget thrown behind it. And I'm okay with that.
0: <laughs> I think this is the first time you've overruled me to say something was not a movie.
1: <laughs> Look, it, it had to happen once. <laughs> I, d-
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. Okay. But bye, everybody. This was this was a variety show for sure. <laughs> Goodbye. But bye. Bye. Uh, and that's how I got my medal.